One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. The season is over, but there's still lots to talk about. And as is traditional on this podcast, we do an end-of-season roundtable. Uh, we've got a slightly uh, varied crew, a different crew from normal, but I'm delighted to welcome the man from East Lower. Jim, good evening to you. Good evening to you. We have got our tactics columnist, sometime tactics columnist uh, for arsblog.com, who will probably have a bit more work to do next season because we're going to have new tactics and a new manager, Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hello. And all the way from the other side of the world, but uh, from very close to me originally, we have got Paul, who is posing in my pants, who you will know, of course, from the Arsenal Vision podcast. Good evening to you. Woo-hoo. Oh, no, that's uh, surely that's trademarked to the other podcast. You could just say hello or, uh, you know, something in Irish. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, we could go with that. Uh, hello. Oh, that's that's good. That's good Irish. I like it. I like it. We're going to talk a little bit about um, what's coming down the line in a little bit. So what I would like you to do before uh, I get into that is just bear this question in mind. I want you uh, to think of one word to describe your thoughts about Mikel Arteta as Arsenal manager. And I'm going to come back to you a little bit later and ask you what that word might be. But Jim, I just want to uh, start the podcast as we normally do by talking about the season that's gone. It feels strange to me in a way because it's sort of ended in, in a kind of happy way. It's been quite enjoyable the the last couple of weeks. Arsene Wenger, after the uh, decision was made, the announcement was made, everything's been kind of lovely, even though we finished lower than we've ever finished under Arsene Wenger and everything else. How have you found the last couple of weeks of this season? Very nice. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I mean, I haven't been massively invested in any of the other results or fe- uh, fixtures, I should say, other than the Burnley one. That, that was the kind of one where all the em- emotion was invested in. Um but I, I did enjoy that an awful lot. And, you know, it's probably, you know, the most best atmosphere at an Arsenal game I've been to for a while. And, and uh, certainly um, it was it was, it was was really good and a, and a nice sort of bookend to the Wenger era. And, you know, I was there for the very first game and I was there for the very last. And, and it felt it felt good to have been there for both. So um, I enjoyed that a lot. The other ones, which I just found them entirely irrelevant. Honest, in all honesty, um, you know, it might as well have not been played. But that that one melt, met, meant a lot to me. The last couple, the Leicester game and the the Huddersfield game, and yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I know it was his very last game, Huddersfield, but re- the re- you know the real one and, and their sort of effort and the emotion seemed to go more into the into the Burnley one for obvious reasons. And um, and I was I was so glad to have been there, and uh, and I wouldn't have missed it. I have missed a lot of games this season for one reason or another, but I wouldn't have missed that for anything. Paul, how did you view it? Because obviously it's a a topic that has been the subject of 
countless hours of discussion on this podcast and your podcast and many other podcasts and on blogs and everything else, the manager's future, what we should do, where we need to go, how we need to go there. And all of a sudden, this this uh, decision came out of the blue. And we've had this opportunity to, uh, which I think is kind of unique to say goodbye to Arsene Wenger in a way that not many managers get the privilege of of being said goodbye to, if that's the the wrong way of putting it. I think it is. It's not very good English, but you know what I'm coming from, on where I'm coming okay. from on this. It, it, it's been something a little bit special, which I think ties into the specialness in the 22 years of Arsene Wenger. That has been kind of special for us as Arsenal fans. And the goodbye has been a little bit special too. It has in a unique way. Um, and it's hard to think of a, an equivalent like it in, in modern times in the English footballing sphere. Um, I'm going to say something that could be by by those who are a bit uh, trophy-focused or you know, it's all about winning, could take this the wrong way. But there's a very small part of me. Now, I would have loved us to win the Europa League. It would have been absolutely tremendous way for Arsenal to go out. But maybe the close second best way is for us to have had, uh, on, sadly, a poor performance in the league and uh, a failure in Europa League. And for the manager to go out with that kind of warmth and support that says... No, Arson, we don't just love you because you won trophies in the past. We don't just love you because you just won the FA Cup and now you're hoisting Europa, the Europa League. It would have almost felt, I think, to Arson Wenger a little bit of the, oh, yeah, when I win stuff, they love me. <laughs> and they, then he'd go out the door and he'd never – I mean, he it would have been wonderful. I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, turn sure. down celebrating a tr- trophy with the manager. But he'll go away knowing – that he got serenaded by the supporters at the club in those last few games, despite not because of winning the Europa League Mm. or returning us to the top four. four. Now, of course, uh, I wouldn't swap that for being in the top four and winning the Europa League, but he'll he'll go away with something maybe more valuable that I wouldn't have swapped for it. But I think he'll look, but he, he's, he's, you can see at the moment there's a lightness on him. I think he gets it. And I don't, but I don't think the penny will fully drop for some time that it was the right thing and he was done a favor. Uh, you can see a lightness about him. You can see him almost kind of opening up. Um, now, every now and then you see a really pinched look with, uh, on his face, like if they, <laughs> the journalist who's, who basically implied Gazidis was right to fire you nice and early so you could get this sending off. Yeah. You suddenly see this. That, that's not what he said, but that's what <laughs> Arson heard. Yeah. Um, or when he was into his final interview, I think it came out of where he was talking about Arteta and is that, asked if he's a good fit, which in many ways should be a positive topic. It's just terrible timing. And you see this kind of tightness come over him. So uh, the saddest thing was when he was asked what result would he change in his career? I mean, think about that in his career. And he said the Europa league, that's how much he thought he needed to go out on the high and how much he wants to go out on a high. But I think when he looks back, he'll see maybe something more valuable. He it's one of those things when you know why people love you. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. It, it ties into his character as well, where he said, "What's the the one result you change?" He said, "The last one," and then he went, "But not the Leicester one." I mean, I mean, the, <laughs> I mean the Atletico Madrid one because that's actually uh, an important game. And also, I think uh, you know, anytime Ivan Gazidis' name is mentioned around Arsene Wenger, we get that pinch look on his face. Um, but that's a different thing we might come to in a little while, Lewis. You are um, younger than all of us, and fair play to you for that. And enjoy the uh, much longer life. <laughs> I didn't do anything to achieve that. <laughs> no, you didn't. It's not. You didn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was an, an accident of birth, uh, much like nationality. But there you go. Um, but you wrote a great piece for Ars Blog about how Arsene Wenger is essentially the only Arsenal manager that you've known, and I think that when you when you think about a, a connection with a person, with a human being, and also with an institution that you love and that you care for and you want to do well, it creates something a little bit special. So what was your feeling about these these last few weeks um, from the time the announcement was made? Um, I, I was glad. I think Paul touched on something to do with the Europa League and... I don't know if the goodbye felt almost more sincere at the Burnley game because we weren't in the Europa League. And I think not being in the Europa League final also gave Arsene the chance to say goodbye in a way where I think if we were there, he'd have put it off. He'd have gone to the Huddersfield game, his press conferences, he'd have gone to the Burnley game and it would have been, we have a trophy to win. And that's what the focus is on. And not being there anymore allowed him to soak everything in and it did allow people to appreciate him, not for winning something, but him for him and what he's done for us over two decades. I think as well, the the one comparison, obviously, everyone would draw will be Sir Alex Ferguson. And But United fans never, except for the very beginning of his reign, they never went through this thing where the patience was tested or you wonder if he still got it or oh, it's time now. He went out winning the league with a, well, a pretty terrible squad, plus Robin van Persie. Oh. And I, I, they, I don't think the journey is quite the same for them that we went through. And to say goodbye to Arsenal in that way, not with a trophy, probably with the, the very vast majority of people accepting that it was the right time, um, I think it felt more meaningful that way. And I think he... I don't know if he does yet, but I think he will, like Paul touched on as well, I think he'll recognise that in time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the case. I think he sees that it is the right time. And, I, you know, when we step back and we step back from the sentiment, we see a team that has performed really, really well at home. There's no question that this team has got a bit more to it than people might like to think. You know, when we talk about rebuilding and when we talk about what we've got to do in the summer, you look at the home record and you look at the results that we've had and look at the 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 performances that we've put in, the goals we've scored, the amount of points we've uh, garnered at home versus away, which is obviously a, a big, big problem. But Lewis, just sticking with you very uh, very quickly, did you have any doubt or were you in any way concerned that the decision that was made, however it was made or whoever made it, that it was wrong? I I didn't have any doubt or concern that that was wrong. I had concern. I still have concern that the decisions to follow won't be right. Um, I don't think Arsene Wenger leaving Arsenal means Arsenal will automatically be better because... I don't think that's how these things work. And I think it's a great disrespect for him to him to suggest that he would be so bad that anyone would do a better job. So I think I'm concerned 
that the next step isn't taken properly, but I'm not concerned that it was the wrong time. I think it's been the right time for probably a couple of years by now. And I'm glad more than anything that this didn't reach a, a head where he wasn't given a new contract and he could, whether it's true or not, he could stand out there and say, I'm leaving Arsenal because mm. it's the right time for me to leave Arsenal. I think that's important, whether mm. it's true or not. Paul, what was your sense last year when when Arsene Wenger was handed a two-year contract after the FA Cup win? You know, my my gut feeling was that it was only ever going to be one year because of all the shenanigans that went on in the final year of his contract uh, before the FA Cup final against Chelsea, I mean, where the the press narrative, the media narrative, everything was dominated by his future and what he was going to do and how it was going to affect the club and everything else. So for me, it always felt like it was just going to be one more year. Did you yeah. have any idea that, or any sense that it was going to be more than that? But yeah, how did, how did you see that? I thought it was genuinely a two-year contract that could either easily be a one-year contract depending on how it went, if right. that's not fudging the question. I sure. think... I think our, uh, Ivan clearly lined up um, to be in a position. Uh, so the way I picture it is, there was that fateful day, as it's portrayed, where Stan Cranky came into Cranky came into town. Cranky's good. It's uh, fine. It's fine. He's, you know, he could yeah. be quite an angry guy. Who knows? Yeah, good. I'm going with Cranky. So Cranky comes into <laughs> town to decide Arson's future. The next day, he sits down with Arson, uh, tells him. Uh, he has his backing. I, I guarantee you he sat down with Ivan, who was adamantly pushing with certain uh, board members to make the change. And Stan said, get ready. If the season's good, so be it. If the season's bad, we'll have to go the other way. And, and you know, Josh shows up into town uh, in February where the writing's on the wall. And so I did think Arson where I got it wrong. So I think it played out pretty much the way I expected. Where I got it wrong was I thought Arson would be more uh, sanguine in his view of his own performance. I thought he himself would be looking to see how it went. And if, it, if he wasn't narrowing the gap, if things weren't getting better, not necessarily by performance, just in terms of the state of the team and had he adapted and did he have any new tricks? And he was really doubling down on, you know, this is a great group, group of guys and something great's going to come out of these guys at some stage. And, you know, even when he ended, there was no new trick, new, no new spin. And that's my one disappointment, not in Arson as a person, but just in Arson in his final few years, if he'd stopped two, three years ago, it would have been perfect. Uh, as it turns out in hindsight, but I still hoped that every time he re-upped his contract, it was because he'd said he the penny had dropped and he was going to try some stuff. But he never had a new trick. He never mm. had a new approach. He didn't seem to recognize the gap was increasing. That this world of marginal gains, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that all the time it was pulling away from him. And so I thought he would have more say and be more a party to saying, you know what, guys, let's do a, let's not screw it up like we did last last year. Let's do a smooth transition. Um, it's time for me to work with you to bring in the next guy. Jim, how much of that makes sense to you? Because it does make a lot of sense to me in the sense, in the I'm saying sense a lot here, but just from the point of view that, it, you know, as as difficult and as 
frustrating as things were and as divided as people were, the fact is that if Arsenal had gone through the first half of the season without losing a game, people would have been quite happy. But, you know, it it is results and it is performances that dictate the way people feel and the way uh, things go. So Arsene Wenger wasn't able to produce the results and the performances that he needed or the club needed, but basically what he needed to, to, to bring, not necessarily to bring people together, but to sort of calm calm the the madness that was out there yeah i i don't i mean it's not just this you know i i do sort of agree that if he'd, if he'd gone the whole first half of the season you know, he wouldn't have you know unbeaten maybe things would have been different but the fact is it's, it's not just this season we're looking at we're looking sure. at a, a very obvious trend that's been going on for a long time well and you know and i don't think i i do agree i, do, I don't i don't think it was ever going to be a situation where um, he would have announced his departure and given it another year because we've all seen how that's gone before. Where I would slightly disagree with Paul is, is that is that he would have had the um, uh, he always he did always say things. Oh yeah, you know if I don't think I'm doing a good enough job, I'll 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 stop. But I don't have the impression he ever would have. I I just think he's a you know he's a man of a certain type very self-confident and, you know, of a great, you know, hugely successful man. And I always think he thought he had it in him to, to, to go that next bit to do the next thing. And that's why I think ultimately, I know it was painted as uh, Wenger hanging his boots up, but I don't think it was quite like that. And uh, I, I just think um, he was never going to leave of his own volition. I, I mean, that's, you know, I, I think there's a bit more to it than that. But um, but it's definitely the right time. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Well, look, I mean, the other thing we uh, I just want to say is that like all the stuff that surrounded this departure in these last few weeks, the the videos and the articles and everything else have been absolutely fantastic. You know, when you can wipe away the frustration and when you can ignore uh, all the things that have um, made us a bit cross and angry, it's been brilliant to look back on all the great stuff that Arsene Wenger has done. And I think the club and the media team have done a, a fantastic job in that regard. So uh, hats off to them. Um, so look, let me come back to this question then, because what we have to do is look to the future now, because Arsene Wenger is going or is gone. I suppose technically he's still the manager of Arsenal, but... Uh, we know he's not going to be in charge next season. The person who does look like they're going to be in charge next season is Mikel Arteta, a former player, former captain. He's been Pep Guardiola's number two for two years. I'm going to go through this one by one um, just quickly. Jim, the one word that you would use to describe Mikel Arteta as, or your reaction to the story of Mikel Arteta being Arsenal manager, what is it? It's probably a pretty obvious one, and it's surprised. Okay, Lewis. Do we do elaborate, or are you just going to go through them? No, we'll go through it. I get the words, and then we'll we'll come back. Lewis, uh, I'm going to try and be really clever, unlike uh, like unlike the obvious answer, and say continental. Continental. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. Um, either tires or breakfast. It works well with both of those <laughs> things, and also now Mikel Arteta. Paul, what's your word? Well, as I alluded to in a blog in October 11th, 2012. <laughs> 2012. Look at him pretending like he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all my predictions come true. <laughs> the word is Guardioleta, which is apparently what he was called in Barcelona. Guardioleta. Little Guardiola. Would that not be Guardiolita? Anyway, anyway, yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, I think the word I would use is cautious. Um, 
let me go to let me go to you, Jim, first. Yeah. The um, I, the idea that Arsenal are going to replace a manager of the stature of Arsene Wenger with a man who has never once managed a game of football is objectively a bit mental. It, it does sound, you know, mad, mad as a as a, a barrel of eels, doesn't it? But it, it really does. And, and I think the thing that surprised me the most is that Arsenal, at least under the current ownership, um, have been very risk averse. And, um, and that's why it, t- it takes me by great surprise that they're going to go totally the opposite direction. And um, I'm all for it being a great success. I, I, yeah, I, I, they obviously know a lot about him that I don't know, that we don't know. Um, but nevertheless, until you've actually done the managing bit, until you've actually done the managing of people bit, with none of which he's done, you cannot judge. And, and okay, you know, maybe I shouldn't judge either, but all, I'm just, I, I'm a bit like you. There's an element of caution in there, but surprised. I, I thought, I thought it would be someone with a lot more gravitas and experience just because, you know, the turbulent water that we're about to tread into, but they've gone completely, assuming it happens, of course, right? But they've gone completely op- opposite direction. And, yeah. you know, I'm not saying it won't be exciting, but I'm, I'm, I was, I was definitely surprised. Yeah, I think there's an element. There's definitely an element of of excitement for it for me because it's different. Because what we've grown used to is a manager who we know like the back of our hand. All of us, you know, um, because of how long he's been in charge, because of the way he operates, because of the things he says, because of just we we know it. So by its very nature, whatever comes next was going to be different. You know, I think there's something to be said for going in a in a. In an unexpected direction, right? Where you could go Ancelotti or you could go somebody who's got a bit of a safety net where if it doesn't work, you can say, well, look, this guy did this and this, you know, we tr- we tried to do that. And I think um, maybe there's some credit to be given for the idea of going completely left of field and saying, okay, this is a club that needs to go in a totally new direction. We've had a manager in charge for 22 years. Now we need the youthful energy. We need new ideas. We need a new character. We need a new whatever it is. I think there's something really positive in that thinking. Mm-hmm. But at I the mean, same time... Also, sorry, I, I suppose you could also say, what's our ambition for next year? What, yeah. What's the club's ambition? In all likelihood, and yeah, we, you might not like the answer, but in all likelihood, the answer is top four. Yeah. Right? And and so, and so I suppose the judgment there is, can, can a really left field... Um, uh, a, a manager or a, you know, a guy that comes from nowhere like this, could he get this squad into the top four? And and, and maybe the answer there is, you know, we think that they could. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other question is, Lewis, um, can you, if you're a club that's just finished sixth, that has broken its transfer record in January, having broken it previously in June uh, on two strikers, Lacazette and Aubameyang, whose transfer funds, whether we like to admit it or not, are probably limited because of that. Uh, you know, leaving aside the idea of selling one or two, maybe perhaps top players to raise some more funds or, or what have you. But can you attract the top class manager, can you get Max Allegri to come to a club where he's got to go through the Europa League, where he's got to, he's got to work within a restricted budget to, to rebuild a squad that really does need a lot of rebuilding. So is there, is there something to be said for going in this direction? And maybe Arteta is kind of a bridge 
to a manager who, once you get back into the Champions League, once you're earning again, once you're bringing in those big bucks, and once your reputation is slightly re-enhanced, if you like, maybe that's the time to bring in that kind of a manager. Yeah, I think... You can, Man United have done it. You can sign big players without being in the Champions League, but you need to have exorbitant amounts of money to actually go and do it. And all the noises coming out from Arsenal suggest they don't have it or at least wouldn't like to spend that money. So whoever comes in is probably roughly stuck with the squad we've got other than selling Ramsey, selling Bellerin this summer. and Or Mesut Ozil. <laughs> yeah unlikely as that seems and I think that that's not attractive to Luis Enrique to Max Allegri why would Enrique for example turn down Chelsea why would Allegri leave Juventus for a project where they can't really stamp their own mark on it it's going to be a project very much in the vision of the club because the club is now thinking in a much more long-term sense not the well, it's always been a long term idea under Arsene Wenger, but now the idea is very much long term but dictated by people that aren't in charge of the team. So, would those guys firstly be willing to fit into that structure and secondly reject what other jobs they might be able to have for that? I think mm. probably not. Would at this stage of his career, Max Allegri, he's previously said he doesn't want many more years of management, so it doesn't seem like the time to then start a project. And even then, uh, we've seen with Antonio Conte, who obviously did a great job winning the Premier League last year, but is now almost definitely going to leave Chelsea because they don't do what he wants. Do we want a manager that instability immediately after Mm. Arsene Wenger? Not that Arteta necessarily is going to bring stability. It could be disaster. And after 18 months, they're forced to sack him. But at least the squad won't change too much. At least there won't be enormous turnover and the vision from above can remain on course. Paul, what did you make of stories where it was suggested that Luis Enrique and Max Allegri were interested in the Arsenal job but had concerns about the management structure? So my reading of that was that they were told there's a head of recruitment. They were told there's a director of football. There's a chief executive who wants to get more involved as well. So they're not going to come in and and have the power that Arsene Wenger, for example, would have. But Allegri and Enrique have worked in structures at football clubs across Europe. We go back to the word continental. It's it's the way they work there. They have their... um, they have their recruitment side, they have their director of football side, and a head coach comes in and works with those players with some input, of course. Of course, they have some input, but they uh, the idea that they have looked at Arsenal and said, well, this is like weird and strange. We don't know how to deal with this. That seems very, very odd to me. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's true. I think, though, maybe it's a statement of intent from the club that... Not, not so much to those managers, but to the public, uh, to the supporters, to the media, that here's our rationale to do what actually we, we've been planning to do for some time. The idea that they signed up uh, Sven and Raul and Husfami and uh, Darren Burgess and did not know what kind of manager they wanted and flip-flopped between Allegri and Arteta 
doesn't quite hold water to me. I think what's really going on is the dance. You know, when players and their agents flirt with the club, uh, they like their name circulating. And in this case, Arsenal needed to look like it did due diligence and considered the major players in the game. Uh, I don't think it was ever real from either side, but a little flirting out in public is good for all sides. Do a little bit of a dance. Allegri gets his new contract up uh, when he's been talked about in the press. Enrique lets everybody know that he's a top-level manager. Whoever signs him will be out there knowing that you know their club is showing ambition. Arsenal has made it clear that they looked at these top guys, but it's just not a fit that Enrique was unreasonably expensive, that uh, between one thing and another, the Allegri fit isn't quite right for what we need as a, a, a club. And this is why Mikel Arteta or Nagelsmann, but Nagelsmann isn't available, and they knew that, um, is the right fit when we... When we went through all the options, this one fits and there's there's the counter rationale. This is the guy who's the coach. He's not confused about what he's going to do. He'll work within our budget. He's one of us. He's, uh, you know, Gar- Guardiola light. We've believed in him all along. We've maintained a relationship. We're not thrashing around. It's not our last choice. It's not desperation. This has kind of been our quiet inside horse for a long time now we've looked at the best of the rest they don't fit so we're going back to the the guy we always thought was the smart choice and the the one thing i'd like to add because we say that arteta's never managed a game which is you know it's very true he hasn't been a manager anywhere but i hadn't realized uh guardiola gave him the keys for the the arsenal game do you believe that? Do you genuinely believe that? Because I I read that piece, I think it was in Goal, and I thought yeah. it just Sam came across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just came across to me as a bit of... It was a bit, a bit too cute, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit sort of Peorish, you know, from the point yeah. of view that like, okay, well, he, you know, I allowed him to take charge of one game and look at what a game it was. It was actually, yeah. it was against Arsenal. Wow. And he yeah. won, you know, I, you know, I, I, I see the, uh, I see the stories. I, I see the... The, the people talking about the impact he's had on players like Raheem Sterling and, and everything else. But yeah. I just, you know, there's part of me just goes, that just was seemed like part of the, uh, I don't know how, yeah. you know, people like to shape the 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 stories via the media and, and everything else. And that's sure. just the way it felt well, to me. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. I have a degree of... Uh, what would you call it, reserve cynicism about it in terms of it being that being the full-on story. But I also don't think it's a lie. I think the very likely situation is Guardiola coached the match. Um, uh, and that's obvious from who was on the sidelines. And, and that's the real job. But I'm damn sure he gave Arteta the brief to scout, to run the sessions, to work with the players, to come up with the tactics, now, maybe it was Guardiola who took back the, the wheel at halftime and switched a couple of the front players around and suddenly we went, they went down, they went up two goals, you know. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm damn sure Arteta has been working with the players in the final third because not only was it in that article, if you look at the Monday night football, he wasn't, Guardiola wasn't even talking about Arteta. He was talking about Raheem and he said, blah, blah, blah. Arteta was working with him. Mm. Um, it, it wasn't a point about Arteta. He just kind of, 
I think he almost felt he, it would have been uh, grabbing the spotlight uh, unfairly away from Mikel, not to put credit where credit was due. And then the other thing that article meant was mentioned that it, he was working with the, not just the attacking third players, which is classic uh, Guardiola. Henri talks about how um, Pep is obsessed with the, the two-thirds building up to the final third and then what the creative players do in, in the final third is largely down to them. Obviously an exaggeration, but it, it would be consistent with him uh, giving Mikel a lot more focus in that area. But the other thing talked about by Sam Lee was, or Sam Lee was uh, working with the centre-backs, which I thought was very, very interesting. Mm. But mm. For, for Arteta, so he, he actually worked both thirds. So he's obviously... He's not, he's not given, it's kind of like with your kid, right? You, you'll let them drive around, but you'll sit in the passenger seat uh, and occasionally let them, you'll let them drive a bit, but it's not their car. Uh, I think we shouldn't underestimate how much uh, uh, Arteta's had to, to begin to hone his skills, knowing this job was ahead of him for some time, I would bet. Um, uh, and one final quick point. Uh, my pinned tweet on my account has a little video, I don't know if you've seen it, of Arteta and Wenger in 2012 preseason. And if you watch it, it's Arteta and, and Wenger out on the pitch and Arteta is doing hand signals and talking about positioning and, and he's clearly talking about positioning and how you receive the ball. If that doesn't look like Pep Guardiola to to you in terms of it's classic La Masia kind of body gestures, positioning, stand, detail, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I could see why Guardiola would say, okay, you take the keys for this area here, work with that guy, do this, do that. So that, that's kind of why I'm pumped. Sure, uh, sure. As some might, I, I'm, I'm noted as being delusional, but I think there's a genuinely exciting uh situation with a lot of upside not too much downside you're not delusional so much as as irish but that's a trait we both share (laughs) um hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home but you're not always at home you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jim, uh, people have made the distinction in in the in the wake of these stories about Mikel Arteta, who I'm told has been in London not just this week, but over the last couple of weeks. He's mm-hmm. been up and down from Manchester. 
Um, we won't even go into the stories about house hunting and property and all that kind of stuff as we do with, with transfers and, oh, he's just bought a new house or he's selling his house, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, th- this has been going on for a little while. Um, the distinction between a manager and a head coach, I think, is interesting because we're used to Arsene Wenger as a manager. He is the manager of the entire club. Whoever comes in next is not going to be the manager of the entire club in the same way. However, however, he could be a brilliant coach and he, you know, I hope he is and I hope he does amazing things and I hope he succeeds and everything else. But... He can be a brilliant coach, but he also still needs to manage. He needs to manage a squad of 25 players. He needs to manage the personalities, the egos. He needs to manage his relationships with the chief executive, with the head of recruitment, with the director of football, with probably the owner, with Stan Kroenke. You know, he's got to manage a lot of aspects because we can say he could set up a team, he can pick a team, he can he can do the tactics and everything else, and that's the job of a head coach, but there's still an element of management to what he has to do. And, uh, you know, we can't overlook that, I don't think. No, it, it's a huge part of it. And, you know, and like I said earlier, he can be as impressive uh, um, as anything, and, and he must be. He must, he must be a, a very impressive person to have have got to this to this stage but uh, until you've done it you don't know and and you know there are a lot of egos at any football club any professional footballer is by 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 their nature at the top of you know they've arrived there for you know because they've been single-minded and there are lots of big egos there and you have to manage all of those you have to manage you know you can be a great coach on the sidelines and learn from the best people but until you've done it um then, then we, we simply won't know. But maybe another thing that we, we sort of tend to forget is that I think we're sort of steeped in this whole, you know, the manager's in, he's in for 20 years thing. But that was so unusual and, um, mm. and it's unlikely to ever happen again. So really what we've arrived at now is the cycle where someone's in for 18 months, two years. That's the cycle in football now. So on that basis, you could say, look, okay, he hasn't quite got the experience. He's very impressive for this reason. He fits into this structure for that reason. We'll give him a go. If it doesn't work, he's gone in 12 months, 18 months. Well, that's football. And I think maybe as Arsenal fans, we've got so used to that not being the case um, that, that, uh, that maybe we just need to get used to the fact that um, you know, we, we've moved to an era where we take a bit more of a gamble about these things. How do you view that, Lewis? Is it, I mean, it is a gamble. I think there's no question it's a gamble and it's a risk. You know, are we in an era now where we're going to go, well, okay, Mikel Arteta didn't work after 18 months. Now it's the next thing and maybe he'll work and maybe uh, the guy after him will be the guy that works. You know, how do we find that balance? Because for so long, Wenger has been the figurehead and he's been the guy on whom all the responsibility has has rested, right? When things haven't gone well, it's been Wenger's fault. When they've gone well, it's, you know, credit to him and he's the most successful FA Cup managing, uh, FA Cup winning manager of all time with, with seven FA Cups. We give him that credit, but when we finish sixth, you know, the, the, the thing is on him. Now, where's the balance between this? Because Ivan Gazidis, I think, is the guy who's making the decision. He's the guy who's who's championing championing Arteta in a big way to the board. This is his pick. Um, does it does it come back on him if it doesn't work? Is it a case that Ivan Gazidis only gets one go at picking a new coach or a new manager? Yeah, I like. I think that would be unfair if 
anyone only got one chance. Um, Ivan Gazidis, I would judge him personally. I would judge him more on not only the manager, not only our points tally, but also transfers and everything. He's the guy that's brought in uh, Raul Sanye, and he's the guy who's brought in Sven Mislintat. And if those guys don't work out, that falls on his head. It's not only about the, the new, let's call it head coach, much the same thing to me. Um, so I, I don't think anyone should just get one go at it, but also if if we sign duds this summer and if we sell players for what we consider to be way below their market value, that's Gazidis' fault or at the very least the fault of whoever's brought Gazidis in. But I think we don't know... We don't know what Gazidis, his vision is for the football club. We don't know what his, how well he will work with um, the new head coach, with Mislintat, with Raul Sanye. And it does need to be given time, in my opinion, because I just think the as long as Arsenal's been there, the shackles have been on pretty much everybody else at the club. And now is there is a power vacuum possibly mm. but i think also a chance for people especially a director of football a head of recruitment to step into more natural roles to be a more continental structure going back to that word again and this is how clubs this is how all the big clubs around europe and the small clubs around the top european leagues it's how they operate it's the job is too all-encompassing to be an arsene wenger anymore if Arteta doesn't work, then I think this is something people were not people who are skeptical because I think it's completely normal to be worried, to be skeptical about bringing Arteta in. But people who are angry that bringing Arteta in, I don't know if they've realised that we don't have to hang on to the next manager for six or seven years. We we don't owe the next manager anything. And if yeah, it's there's, not there's going nothing well to fall back on, months, right? Yeah, exactly. There's nothing to fall. It's not like well, he did this in the past. Yeah, like it, and there's no reason to believe they'll turn it back around. If it's going badly after 18 months, then they can go. And yeah. I don't think anyone would begrudge that decision to sack a manager after 18 months. Ideally, we hire someone and they're there for six or seven years, which is probably realistically the maximum lifespan of a manager in a top European club now. You know, I think the average good manager will do three or four years. If you're really lucky, you'll get six or seven out of somebody. And if they're not doing well, you'll get a year out of them. And mm. Arteta now is such a big change at the club. I think whoever comes in, it looks like it will be Arteta. They probably deserve 18 months. If it's not going well after 18 months, if really not going well after 18 months, then pull the trigger and go to the next one and hope that that is the one that goes well. Yeah, I mean, Lewis, you know the head of recruitment quite well, Sven Mislintat, because of his uh, connection with Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, he's he's got a remit to bring in players who I, I suspect that the way we're going to go, obviously is to identify young talent. I think Konstantinos Mavropanos is the archetypal signing for the next couple of years for Arsenal. He's a player that has got a lot of potential, but nobody knew very much about it. He's going to be cheap. If he works out, he's going to be a bargain. He's going to be an asset to the club. If he doesn't work out, it's not like we spent 40 or 50 million on the guy. Um, I mean, is it 
how do you how do you see the way that he's going to operate? Uh, you know, we a couple of the signings we've made, obviously Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan are ex Borussia Dortmund players. There's um, Socrates Pastapopolopoulos. Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to try. I was practicing before this. I got it wrong. Yeah. But you know, is do, do you worry that maybe maybe his his field of vision is a little bit too small in that he's going to go with what he knows, or you know, is he a guy who can really identify young talent from all over Europe and bring them into Arsenal at an age where they can come in and flourish? And maybe that's part of why we've brought in a young coach is because a young coach can work with these young players and mold them into what he wants. Yeah, I think Mislintat appointing him is a really interesting one to go and appoint a director of football, if that's what Raul Sanye is, I guess he is, uh, to appoint a head of recruitment separately is quite an interesting move. I think a lot of clubs would just have one guy kind of sharing that role. So I'm not sure exactly what the, the structure is, obviously. I think Mislintat, so far he's just handing in his old, referring to his all his old <laughs> notes and bringing in Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, now being linked with Socrates. Even Mavropanos was scouted by the Dortmund scouting team when Mislintat was still in charge of that. So we're not, none of us obviously are quite sure what you're doing. I think, I assume that there'll be some sort of restructuring of the entire scouting system. It looks like everybody's being sacked at the moment. So... Maybe Mislintat has more up his sleeve, more work to do in actually setting up an entire process. And these short-term, these older players that he knows well, uh, something to fall back on while that is being put in place. And then from there, Mavropanos, like you said, we're not losing much money if it doesn't work out. And if we are, we're getting a bargain or and or an amazing profit from him in the end. And I think that will or should be the target. But how it works out, I, we have no idea. I think when yeah. you look at directors of football around Europe, there's a lot of guys who do really, really well at a club and then they move club and the the head coach is different or the chief executive is different. And they obviously don't have all the same scouting staff around them and they don't do the same job anymore. So it's it feels... I think Mislintat obviously has an enormous reputation, but it's a bit of a shot in the dark. And obviously also when a guy like that joins Arsenal, everybody talks about Shinji Kagawa and Pyramid Bang and mm. finding players like that. They don't mention so much that Dortmund splashed a load of money on Chiro Mobile a couple of years ago and then sold him after one year because it didn't work out and he barely scored any goals. So I... Yeah. I think the transfer market, signing players from other countries is always a risk anyway. And then to do that at a new club, at a new club that has never had a structure like this before, there's not really any knowing how it goes until we're a couple of years down the line and we can look back and say, yeah, there's been more hits than misses. Mm. Uh, Paul, what, what do you make of the idea uh, of Raul Senyehi Coming from a club like Barcelona, where I, I I suspect it's not that difficult to convince a player to come and join Barcelona. On the other hand, I suspect it might be a little bit more challenging to convince a player, come and join Arsenal, who've lost their legacy manager, 
which can often have a, a significant impact on a club and its league position or its performances. Come and join Arsenal, who have brought in a manager who's never managed a game of football in his life. Uh, he is gonna. Ha- he's got a different job here than he did in Spain. There's no question about that, right? Yep. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we're not the top tier in the Premier League, but the Premier League beyond a couple of super clubs is the top league and it's London. So we got that going for us. Yeah. We got, we got, you could do a pretty good pitch on Arsenal going forward uh, with the, like Arteta isn't Guardiola, but that's kind of how we're going to be playing guys. We got Sven Mislintat. Look who we just brought in. We brought in Obama Yang. We brought in Mkhitaryan. We're getting serious. We're getting in young players. Um, you know, the the Spanish league and the German league are two probably of the three hotbeds of talent. Strangely, we haven't done well out of France recently, but Mislintat's got a few good players out of France recently. Um, so uh, I I hear what you say on, on the Raul side of things, but man, Arsenal's still a great club to get into um, it, it, once you get past the the uh, you're not going to City, uh, <laughs> Spurs won't pay the money for the wages we're talking about. Um, and, you know, Chelsea's Chelsea. Who knows what kind of system or manager they're getting in. So I think it's it, it, we should be optimistic that we're still a pretty exciting draw. Um, and if Arteta goes down the Guardiola-Barcelona route, I think Raul can sell that pretty good as a as a guy who knows that network and the Spanish leagues, that's a pretty nice uh, tunnel in, into a team that that speak in your language. If say you're a, a young Spanish talent or or somebody from the Spanish connection, we got the German connection. So I think it's pretty exciting. And then, you know, one of the things we're talking about looking for young talent, etc. If you hear Guardiola talk. And again, I, I'm, I'm joining the dots here and maybe projecting way too much on Arteta, but he's a fool if he doesn't go with the Guard, Guardiola brand, if he wants to make big money as a manager and, and get the limelight to, to go down the Allardyce route or the Mourinho route or even the Conte route when you can, when you're, where you're from, printed out of the, 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 uh, uh, Rinus Mitchell, the the Johan Cruyff, the Guardiola line of 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 Buddhist lamas who've passed on the seal. <laughs> if I'm if I'm Mikel Arteta, I am pu- putting that on my my uh, putting that stamp on everything I'm doing. That that's the path I'm going. That that's where his success is. And I think what'll be exciting is to join up that side of things. I mean. Mislintat must have a bunch of players that Dortmund didn't want because they already had a guy in that spot or because the politics were bad and he was starting to fall out with Tuchel, etc. So I don't think Mavropanis is the last of those young guys. Guardiola wanted, and Arteta will want, wide players who are fast, both at wingback, fullback, and up front. And we don't have those guys at the moment. Bellerin's going nowhere, I suspect. There's absolutely no way... Arteta would want to sell Bellerin, given no that the two yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a, they had a very good relationship, and Bellerin spoke often about what a great influence Arteta was on his career. So yeah, and and also we yeah. don't have another right back. 
We don't have another right back, and he's fast, and he's young, and he's high energy, and can sprint both ends of the pitch, which is exactly what Guardiola was looking for, as it'll be what Arteta's looking for. We don't have a fast, wide man on the right at the moment, so those overlapping runs will be key. I think I think Monreal's a really interesting one, too, because you got the Spanish angle. One of the things you see with these Spanish players, I mean, to, to a man, they're all clean technical. And Guardiola was talking about, you know, those times he spazzes out and starts waving his arms and shouting at his players. Uh, you'll have seen it on the Monday Night Football. It's when they make a loose pass and expose the team because that's how they defend, right? They defend through through possession. And Monreal is the cleanest player in the team in terms of passing and possession. I mean, if you can flick an orange into a, a refrigerator in a kitchen with <laughs> Santi Cazorla, right? <laughs> But every single Spanish player you see is is of a type. They're clean, technical, ultra serious about football. And I can't you see with Bellerin too, for all the talk about him off field, he's he's completely serious on the pitch. Yeah. Um and, and so I think that discipline, when we look to improve our defense, we're not we're not gonna buy a bunch of lumping center backs. We're gonna do it the same way that that uh um, Guardiola looks to do it by clean, tidy possession. I think he's going to be wonderful for Bellerin, and that's the reason Bellerin will stay. He doesn't need to mm. go to Barcelona now. He doesn't need to go to City now, and we're not going to let him go. He gets to work with Arteta, so that keeps him on board. I think he's going to be wonderful, uh, potentially, for Chaka because they're playing in the same position. And uh, after all, uh, Mikel Arteta was the last positionally sound midfielder we had in the team it's weird but that was the last time somebody knew where to be at all times i mean he didn't have a lot of speed or range and he was always in the right bloody spot with soft feet uh great quick touches and Mikel, he could ping it long but mostly he people bitched about him because he'd do these short little passes and kind of give a rhythm to the game which is exactly what guardiola was talking about on monday night football about little pockets of player knock, knocking it around. He does. He said, our passes are getting shorter and shorter. Longer and longer passes gets you into trouble. So he's going to work with him. Maitland-Niles, if he's, clearly he has all the talent in the world. Does he have the mentality? Putting him under Arteta, we'll find out one way or another because mm. he, he's a clean passer. He's got speed. He can beat a player one-on-one. He's silky. Um, the only thing he doesn't have maybe is the mentality, right? And a, a very serious Spanish midfielder talking to him about how how it's done. I, If I were Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I would listen with all the force of my will <laughs> to pick up everything I could sure. to become the player I could. So uh, for those three players in particular, I think Arteta is going to be really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, did someone want to come in there on something? I heard... Uh... Was there a point? Yeah, well, actually, a couple of things. Firstly, Fernand, like to add to Paul's point at the end there, Fernandinho recently spoke about Arteta working with him individually on his defensive game, playing in that sort of holding midfield position for um, for Manchester City. But the one thing that really does concern me with this new structure is that everybody's new and nobody's worked out exactly what their positions are, what... The yeah, where the boundaries should, are for, for yeah, the influence. Yeah, the way that things yeah. should work. I mean, so obviously, that's why I've been on, on the podcast before, but I 
followed Dortmund incredibly closely and it was not quite, or well, it was quite the same under Thomas Tuchel, which is why there was a fallout with Mislintat. But especially under Jurgen Klopp, there used to be almost a pact where a transfer would only go through if the chief executive, Hans-Joachim Vodska, the sporting director, Mikhail Zork, and Jurgen Klopp himself all agreed on the transfer. And it concerns me that Arsenal may try and sign players for the manager. I think it's pointless and a waste of money if maybe the manager thinks that the centre-backs are good enough and he wants to use those centre-backs and then those funds could be spent somewhere else where he's not going to use a player, maybe in midfield or he doesn't think the wingers are good enough. And that's probably the thing that worries me the most, not about Arteta, but the entire situation is, is are they going to get this balance right? Yeah. We need to sign players that are good no matter who the manager's going to be because maybe in two years the manager won't be there. But we can't go in, go out there and sign players that the manager doesn't rate because he won't play them or doesn't think we need because he's going to use other options in the squad already and that money could then be spent elsewhere and it will just become a waste. Mm. So I'm, I think the, right, the new structure is the right direction, but it does concern me to see so many serious links with serious transfer fees at this time of the year without knowing for certain who the head coach is going to be because I think that guy really needs to be rubber stamping not necessarily targeting players like Arsene Wenger would do but he needs to be rubber stamping pretty much every deal because there's no point spending 20 30 million on a guy the manager doesn't think is good enough or won't fit into the system that he's going to implement. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, we don't know really how much influence behind the scenes, if, for example, it, it's definitely going to be Mikel Arteta, if it is that, if Mikel Arteta has been liaising with that management structure. I think the yeah. management structure is probably the right one. It's one I've spoken about on the podcast before and advocated for where we need to put this this kind of structure in place to support the new breed of coaches that are out there. But whether these three guys are all of a sudden going to work together without being... Uh, at odds with each other at any point or in in some kind of power play there is a power vacuum when Wenger goes and people are people and people like to to take opportunities to uh, insert themselves into situations where they can have a little bit more power I think we're maybe seeing that with with Ivan Gazidis but uh, Ralson yeah he's a very experienced executive and may feel like if he gets in the right position he could do that Mislintat as well you know I think even little things little things that you look at over the last few weeks and you say when Ivan Gazidis gave that press conference to announce the departure of Arsene Wenger of all the places he could have done that in the Emirates Stadium all the executive rooms all the boardrooms all the meeting rooms and all those kind of things he did it in the manager's chair where Arsene Wenger does his press conferences week in, week out. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there isn't, but it it strikes me there probably is. Jim, you know, when we talk about um, Arsenal's problems over the last couple of years, defence and defensive um, frailties have been a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Arsene Wenger is a very attacking coach, always has been a very attacking coach. Pep Guardiola... Uh, his his approach to defending is primarily based on keeping the ball away from the opposition. If we have the ball, you can't you can't score, and that's true of Arsene Wenger in many ways. Do you feel maybe um, Mikel Arteta is a little bit too wedded to that style of football that the 
the best way to defend is to attack. The best way to defend is to keep possession. Whereas if there is a bit more focus on actual defending and organization and structure in that area of the pitch, it can also prove very, very useful. Well, I mean, the simple answer is we don't know because he's never managed a game. But um, uh, I mean, you could be- you could say based on on who he's worked with, you know, Wenger and, and Guardiola, um, for example, that that he's more likely to you know to favour a, a, an attacking game. Um, so, I mean, we, we we don't know what 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 I think needs to happen though, and he will know that. Let's, let's we are obviously making still making wild assumptions about him coming in, but you know, it looks likely. But he he will know that defence is a big is a big factor that needs to change. Now, look how how you address that is is um, it, you, you do you go incredibly uh, much more defensive than Arsenal have been used to going, or do you try and do it the Guardiola way where you're, you're good enough that um, that that you you know you, you you play more as a team? And I think I, 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 what I think with um, what I think with with uh, with Arteta is that we simply don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. but I do think. I mean, but I do think the defence, if you're asking me what needs to change, I think you know, the way we defend as a team needs to change. The way the, 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 the way we are have lacked ruthlessness needs to change. And there are a few things like that that are sort of, uh, that have been um, part of the team and part of the way, the things that have not changed under Wenger that, that he needs to address. And how he does that, we don't know. He's not here and, uh, and he hasn't done it before. But it has to, you know, th- there will be changes there. And... Um, uh, That'll be part of the excitement, assuming it comes in. We will learn, won't we? Yeah. Do, do you think that there has been any significant contact with anyone else other than Mikel Arteta? Because from what I can see, you know, we hear them, we're, we're going to talk to Patrick Vieira, and Vieira, whether it came from his people or whether it came from somewhere else, uh, described it as a, a token gesture. As far as I was aware, there have been absolutely no contact with Patrick Vieira up until this week, which suggests that he's not really a candidate that they consider terribly seriously. Stories today about how how Arsenal are going to talk to Thierry Henry. They're going to talk to Thierry about the. I mean, why are they going to talk to Thierry Henry about the manager's job? It, it feels to me like they've made a decision. They've decided to go with Arteta, and all the rest of it is just kind of keeping people happy by throwing names into into the mix. Where, how do Jim? How do we feel about that? Is it like okay, they're decisive. They made a decision. We should be, I suppose, uh, not appreciative, but at least they've made their decision. They've got they've got some focus on who they want. Or should they really have expanded this uh, search for a new manager and made? Uh, more interviews and done more interviews and spoken to more people. I would be astonished if they hadn't done their due diligence and, and approached a bunch of people. Really? Yeah, I would. I, 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 I really would. I mean, even if that, you know, the way you approach someone doesn't have to have been some kind of a formal interview. No, I get that. But like, yeah, I, I would, I'd be amazed if they hadn't done that because, you know, you have to get a broad picture. Even if you think in your gut, you know, in your, in your, well, heart to heart, even if you think, oh, Arteta's the man, he'll fit into this structure, he's very impressive, I think it'll work, fine. But I, I still think you'd need to get, a, you'd need to canvas a selection of voices and, and test the water elsewhere because, you know, nothing is ever guaranteed. And uh, I, I'd, I'd have been astonished if they hadn't. And I'm sure other people have been approached. And I'm sure there have been discussions that may have even gone further than you think. But um, that doesn't mean that you know that that uh, to, to have made their decision by this point is there's anything wrong with that. You know that they they will live or die by by 
the decision that they've mm. made. And that's fine. Um, but uh, I'd, be, I'd still be astonished if a, com- a, you know, a business, which is, is Arsenal is a business and, and a very large sport, sporting enterprise, wouldn't have done uh, quite a lot of due diligence on this. In, in, and by not just on Arteta himself, but on, on other candidates. Paul, would you? I'm with you, Blogs. I think it's a kabuki dance. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, it's this, well, it's like this very stylized Japanese dance, but it's basically what they, what they term going through the motions to make it look good. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm on board with this. I'm going to learn. Is it like the safety dance? Or No, no, it's not clear. No, but- they wear these like big cloaks. And Arson will know. I think he managed out there at some stage. So you you you're kind of more on board with my belief, and it it yeah. is only a speculate a speculative belief that they've kind of gone through the motions and they've thrown out the name of Enrique and Allegri with no real desire or 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 willingness to do what it takes to get those guys in. You can pay some lip service to legends like Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry. You've got no interest in bringing Thierry Henry. In Thierry's interview, you know, Thierry sits down with Ivan and Ivan says, well, we need you to work seven days a week. And uh, Thierry's like, well, I need to do my games at the weekend with Sky. You know how it is. This is my job. They're paying me 20 million. That That's kind of where I, I, I feel like this is. I feel like... They've they've decided on Arteta. They're throwing some shit around, and that's just the way it is. Just to sort of keep people quiet to an extent, but they've made their yeah. decision. It, it seems really transparent when you look at the Vieira thing, saying uh, no, I don't. I think it's token. I don't think they're interested. And as soon as that one's killed dead, even though. Arteta feels basically done. Suddenly it's Thierry Henry as they need a, hey, we're not just looking at one ex-Arsenal player. We're looking a little further. We are looking at the legends. As soon as as uh, the Vieira story flatlined, they needed to get some Thierry Henry. As soon as Enrique, um, may, it was clear in the market that Enrique was way beyond anything we'd pay. I mean, that rumor didn't last very long. Allegri didn't even last very long. It was like a week or two, and then suddenly he signs up again. So, <laughs> all right. Well, look, we, we've been yeah. we've been chatting here for quite a while, Lewis. Let me ask you: uh, as we sit here, maybe we'll get an announcement tomorrow. Maybe it'll be early next week. What is your overriding sensation of what's coming next, or or how do you feel about what's going to happen over the next couple of months? I I feel intrigued and I I do feel excited. You said yourself earlier, it's just different. Mm. Um, and I think there are managers who were different that would not have excited me. I I think there's an excitement behind not knowing. I I've, I've watched enough Juventus and, and Allegri's AC Milan to know roughly what his idea of football is, and I don't think it's particularly exciting. I. I don't know what Arteta is going to give us. Is it going to be a Barcelona-style football? Is it going to be influenced by his time at Rangers and at Everton? A, a more aggressive style, maybe, of which I think everybody gets very, very drawn into the La Masia, the Guardiola. But he spent time at Rangers and under David Moyes at Everton. And I think it would be surprising if none of that left any impact on him. Uh, he's he's a Spanish footballer who has grown up as a footballer in England 
um, after yeah. uh, 20 years of age. He's spent his entire career in England. I think it would be amazing if that doesn't have any impact on him. So I, I think it's mostly just excitement. I'm interested to see what he does and how it goes as well. And I'm... I, uh, it sounds ridiculous to say you, if you're quietly confident. I'm I'm definitely not pessimistic because I think, uh, from my point of view, we finished sixth this year, and what's the difference between sixth and eighth or seventh? Really, I don't think with the squad that we have, with the money that we do have available, it would take a disaster to finish lower than sixth, um, or certainly lower than seventh. So I'm mostly interested. I'm willing to give it some time and see how it works. Mm. And I think there's a lot of Arsenal, Mauricio Pochettino, and Pep Guardiola all think that Pep Guardiola is a brilliant. Uh, that sorry, Mikel Arteta is a brilliant football mind, and his career, his the way he played for Arsenal suggests he is. The way that he reinvigorated a squad that looked like it was dead in 2011, along with Bermatasaka. And sort of they came in and took enormous responsibility upon their shoulders in that squad. People talk about the Invincibles managing themselves. I think Arteta and Mertesacker managed that team in 2011 through to 2013 as even more, if anything, than Vieira and Henri managed themselves 10 years ago when everybody believed that Arsene Wenger was the Messiah. So I, I definitely think, I don't think there's nothing to it. I think they've done their due diligence. And I think if there was ever a time to gamble, it's probably right now when we've just finished sixth anyway. You don't gamble when you're in second and within touching distance of winning the league. Sure. You do it now when you've hit rock bottom and well, rock bottom and sixth sounds enormously <laughs> entitled, doesn't it? But, it does a bit, but yeah. I, 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 but, you know, you do it now when it's not particularly feasible to drop much lower and you've got everything to gain. Jim, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, we've got uh, a new manager slash head coach coming in, whoever that might be. We've got a new head of the Arsenal Academy. We've got a lot of new backroom staff. We've got a new contract guy. We've got a director of football. We've got a head of recruitment. We've got, we're going to get a new physio. We're going to get a new, all kinds of new people are going to come in. Is this, is this a, a rebirth? Are we the, uh, the chrysalis opening into the world and the dirty great moth that we were for the last couple of years is going to become a, a beautiful butterfly? Not the butterfly like from uh, from Hannibal where he goes around murdering people and uh, eating their faces off not that kind of a butterfly a beautiful butterfly is that is that what we're going to be well what I, what I will say is that after his highly successful first decade in charge if Arteta then it looks like he's going to skate another 12 years I might start <laughs> but no in all in all seriousness you can't complain um, for five years about stasis and about the need for change um, and then when it comes along, say, oh, it won't be quite exciting. <laughs> yeah. it, it just will. Look, I mean, there are very many reasons why Arteta could, could be a gamble that backfires badly. Um, but at the same time, we have been crying out for something different. Uh, we've been crying out for a change in approach and for a team that will, you know, like I said, that will defend a bit better. They'll be more ruthless. That, that will, you know, something that's different. We, we've wanted it and we've needed it. They're putting this stuff in place, not just with the head coach, but across the team. And it, it will be nothing other than exciting. Whether it works, well, who knows? We can't, we don't, we don't, have, a, um, we don't have a crystal ball, but it will be really exciting. You, you can't, you know, 
but that's the only thing is you know, it's been it's been needing to happen for a long time and now it's here let's just look forward to it all right it's going to be different it's going to be strange and weird paul final thoughts uh, from you just on on what's going to come next season and uh you're, whether you're looking forward to it whether you're trepidatious whether you're i don't know tumescent what what, what how would you describe it um, yeah, well, it's not my job to be to worry about what could go wrong. That's Yankee Gunner's job. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, um, yeah, hang on. We've got through this whole podcast without uh, slagging Elliot off in any way. So uh, take take a minute if you like. Yeah, if you if you stuck me and Elliot together and mold us into one human being, with me being positive, him being negative, it'd be a monster. We, it'd be a monster. We'd be an absolute <laughs> monster. So uh, anyway, my role is I I don't do this football thing to worry about what could go wrong. I worry about what could go wonderfully great, and so uh, basically, I can see nothing but excitement in this whole setup. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. No. So, oh, sorry. So, sorry. Yeah. No. No. I, My just, internet was doing funny things. So uh, I do think I'm buying the pitch that this is the right fit. Um, I mean, Sven Mislintat. I can't imagine how frustrated he was going to be with ours and coming up with all these great picks and then not being selected. Uh, Arson yeah, but kicking like, the tires. Yeah, but come on. I mean, if if a guy like who looks like Sven Mislintat comes to you and says, "I'm going to sell you this great thing," and you go, "Fuck off, you scruffy tramp!" You know, come to me, come to me in a suit, you fuck, and I'll believe well, what I, you're saying to me. But he like, even makes reckon, the suit look bad, by the way. Yeah, he does as well. Yeah. I saw him in a suit at the at the last game or won the last game. He's like, "Oh God, it just looks like a slightly less scruffy tramp." But anyway. true. Go on, but Paul. I know sorry, he looks continue. good in a suit. Uh, when Mikel Arteta and his wife shows up to tell you why you want to work uh, work at our club, you probably say yes, you handsome devil. Um, so, no, I, I think all the pieces fit really well. Um, he could flop, he could be crap, but if he is the right stuff, uh, we've got a huge upside here. Not too much downside. Uh, there's talk about how he doesn't get on with certain players and blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know what? Uh, Sorry to interrupt you, Paul. I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, I've mentioned this on the podcast before uh, about how Arteta, you know, he's, he's sort of viewed as this guy who's universally liked, a great captain and everything else. Yeah. And I think that's true to a large extent. He is a very professional guy, but he's he's very, he's very demanding. Demanding. Demanding, like is, Guardiola. demanding is a good way of saying that he can be like a bit of a cunt at times yeah and i've heard yeah. that quite a bit in the last few days so yeah. carry on carry on just wanted to make that point yeah uh, and it's probably quite a good attribute in a manager yeah. if you can channel it right yeah uh, i mean that's the if if you can use it to your effect anger is a great emotion uh frustration i mean you've seen guardiola jumping around the place uh getting upset with players he uses it in a positive sense. Uh, we've maybe seen too little of that in recent times. But again, its he's not going to want to undermine himself by doing stupid things. But is he the right guy? Does he have the right? Does he have the wherewithal? If he does, we have a huge upside. If he really is as good as Guardiola and Pochettino and whoever think he might be, we have a huge upside. And I think it's going to be fun. I think judge him in May, May 2020 though okay well look we'll uh, we'll have to give him some time i think patience is a virtue in this regard we 
we have to uh, allow a new manager some time to rebuild. If everything is as terrible as everyone says it is, surely a new manager deserves a little bit of time to uh, to turn things around. So look, we'll wait and see what happens and when the announcement is going to be made. Paul, thank you very much indeed for being with us this evening. The Arsenal Vision podcast has apparently won Best Football Podcast at the Football Blog Awards. So congratulations. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it did. It did. So we were jo- we were joking about it on the WhatsApp. You might like this. It's t- the worst thing in the world is to be on WhatsApp with Elliot. If you think he worries on the podcast, fuck me. WhatsApp with it. Anyway, we're worried about who might. We were laughing if we actually possibly might win something. Yeah. Um, and but none of us were going to be there. Clive was going to be there and couldn't make it. Well, the, so uh, the, uh, I suggested DT would be quite happy to walk <laughs> up on the stage and grab it. Listen, I'm not they're, going there. They're I, I, oh, sorry, I, I got I got uh, suspended off Twitter briefly because of really? that guy this week. So I'm not going to go near there. Apparently, somebody called Daniel uh, McLaren, who's the founder of Digital Sport UK, accepted the award on your behalf. But uh, <laughs> con- congratulations! We'll track him down yeah. and kill him. Yeah, but no, he. He just has the award. You just have to ask him for it. You don't have to kill him for it. There's no need. Just oh, saying. There's only one way to take that award back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got to murder the guy that picked it up for us. That's what the Arsenal Vision podcast is all about, people. But anyway, That's look. That's what they want, yeah, Exactly, yeah. The threats and the violence, it's uh, it's it's how they work it. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, look, well done to you and to Tim and to Elliot and to Clive and all the other people. Uh, Scott, it who wasn't all me. It w- no, it wasn't all you, in fairness. I didn't, I didn't make that point. But look, thank you for joining us tonight. It's been good to have you on. Oh, yeah, no problem. All right, uh, Lewis, thanks a million. We will catch up with you next season when there are tactics galore to talk about. Yeah, there might be. It's been a pleasure. There might be. Yeah, Jesus. I hope there are. Because <laughs> I hope there are anyway. Um, and uh, Jim, the man from East Lower, as ever, a pleasure to talk to you as we head into a, uh, what, your eighth, ninth Arsenal manager, 12th, 16th? No, I can't remember. How well, you know, I, I, I saw the whole of George Graham through. Saw the whole of Wenger through, saw the whole of Bruce Rioch, bit of Don Howe, and beyond that, I can't remember. I saw the whole of Don Howe. Yeah, there you go. There's our, there's your theme tune, uh, with apologies to the Water Boys. Thank you all for listening. It's been a pleasure talking to you. The Arsecast Extra will be recorded live on Monday evening in Union Chapel. Myself and James, Amy and Philippe will be there. We'll have that for you on Tuesday morning this week, so listen out for that. In the meantime, thanks a million. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Yeah, 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 yeah
John Terry is a cunt. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 